Hello, welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership podcast series. My name is Scott Miller and I serve as your host and moderator each week and welcome to our third and new set. About every 50 or so interviews, I like to shake things up. And although our podcast is not meant to be an author interview book podcast by any stretch, the majority of our guests, however, typically hone their expertise, their genius, if you will, in publish it through a book. So about 75% of our guests, whether they are generals, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning authors, whether they're CEOs, business titans, or they're just someone with a side hustle that glommed onto an especially great idea that we want to share with you, often they publish it in a book. So you know from following me on social media, my love for books, Franklin Covey, can you believe it, has sold over 50 million copies of our collective books. And so we redesigned our set today more as an art installation. If you are a longtime subscriber or listener to the On Leadership Podcast, which is now the world's largest distributed and subscribed to weekly leadership podcast globally, you know that in sets past, we had shelves and books and walls, but this time we actually hired a fairly up-and-coming artist from Park City, Utah, named Kevin Dell that curated a bit of an art installation. So for some of you, it might give you an epileptic seizure, and for you, I apologize, listen only. For the rest of you that find the podcast enjoyable on video, we're delighted that you've joined us today. Our guest today is the uh, senior editor from Bloomberg and the author of the new release, Amazon Unbound, Jeff Bezos and the Invention of a Global Empire. Brad Stone, welcome to On Leadership. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me and great set. It looks fantastic. Well, you look like you're in the witness protection program after writing a book about the world's most dominant company. But alas, you share with me, it actually is the offices of Bloomberg News in San Francisco. Brad, you come to us as a uh, executive senior editor of Bloomberg. You, of course, wrote the seminal book, The Everything, Everything Store, about Amazon back in 2013. That, of course, took the literary world by storm. Just recently, you published this new book, which I devoured. My, my brother, who I mentioned off camera, is the former leader of two Amazon-owned companies. And every few pages, I was texting him, is this story accurate? Did you know this guy? And for our listeners, my brother, Michael, Miller gave your book a strong endorsement and resounding, fairly true in most cases that he was able to read. So welcome today. We're honored to talk with you. Before we talk about the book and the leadership lessons, the business lessons that are available, whether you are an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, an intrapreneur, whether you have a side hustle, you're an up-and-coming leader in a Fortune 5000 or your own company, there are some great leadership lessons to be learned and perhaps even some things to avoid. We'll talk about those. Maybe you would take a moment and reorient yourself to all of our guests and listeners around the world, why you've been so interested in Amazon, Jeff Bezos, and uh, what should they expect when they buy and read your new book? I mean, Scott, it's, you know, I've covered Silicon Valley since the, the late 90s. This is the preeminent tech story. It's probably the preeminent business story of our time. You know, Jeff Bezos, uh, uh, a, a relatively low-level executive on Wall Street who had an idea at the very birth of the internet, was one of the first to start a company on the internet, um, you know, swam into the river of e-commerce as an online bookseller, and has now turned that over the span of 25 years into a $1.6 trillion company. I mean, it just simply doesn't happen, right? It's one of the unique stories in American business. And what I set out to 
to tell in the everything store was the origin story, the the rise, the near fall in the, in the dot com bust, and then the 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 rise from the ashes. And and the story ends in about 2010. And what I realized over the years was that there was a whole new business adventure, and that's the story of the 100 billion dollar company becoming the nearly two trillion dollar company. And in some ways, it's it's the more interesting story, you know, because big companies don't just keep getting bigger. You know, they largely succumb to the kind of bureaucratic gravity of our all large companies, sluggishness and a little lack of innovation, uh, political infighting. And Amazon has become, and this is why I've named the book Amazon Unbound, it is somehow immune from the laws that somehow seem to restrict the growth of large companies. And that's what I get into, you know, wh- how Bezos has been able to do it, why Amazon has been so successful, and then of course, what the risks are for our society and for competition and our economic reality as Amazon and the other big tech companies have kind of started to to blot out the sun of fair competition. Brad, let's take a moment and talk a bit about Jeff Bezos as of course, one of the focus of the book, as well as Amazon. This is by no means a scorch earth book. You actually share, I think, very few opinions in the book. You have spent better part of three years researching and then a full year compiling your learnings and writing the book. I I saw very little opinion. I'm not naive. I'm sure there's opinion in the book. You're a human. But I thought it to be a fairly fair portrayal of what it would take to build a one-point-plus billion trillion, sorry, dollar company. Uh, Talk a bit about Jeff's vision early on. I mean, he founded this company. Obviously, he self-funded it with, I think, his parents or perhaps his mother and her husband, as you might learn later on. We'll talk a bit about that. Uh, Talk a bit about what you learned over the last, gosh, you know, 12 plus years about Jeff Bezos as a visionary, as a leader, as a human being. Right. Well, first of all, Scott, just on the opinion question, you know, I I always thought my goal was to, you know, inform, uh, you know, all all the partisans in the great Amazon battle. Everybody has an opinion about this company. I mean, I'm a prime member and an echo owner, and, you know, I'm trying to illuminate the story and the, you know, the advantages that Amazon confers on the world, and then the very real kind of risks and areas where, it does deserve scrutiny and criticism. Uh, But on on Bezos, I mean, he had a vision early on that the internet would allow him to create an everything store, a store with uh, infinite selection. And you wouldn't even need to stock a particular item, you could just go and get it. And he, he started so strategically with books. He was a book lover, but it wasn't why he started there. It was very tactical. Um, he, could, he could source them properly. He could offer a, a much wider selection than a Barnes and Noble or at the time Borders, may it rest in peace. And of course he picked Washington state for tax purposes. And now that, that vision seems almost quaint in comparison to what Amazon has become, not just an online retailer, but an enterprise software provider, you know, a maker of a defining industry, you know, industry defining products like Alexa and the Kindle, um, a, a streaming video company that who knows, maybe in the, by the time this conversation is published, may own the MGM catalog. Um, it's 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 now the everything company, and you know, Bezos. He's restless, right? He he is. He knows that there are no annuities in the technology business or in the in the retail world. You can't just depend on on the current relationship you have with customers. You have to keep reinventing yourself, and that is the kind of restless and sometimes ruthless spirit he has brought to Amazon. Brad, I'm not sure where even to begin because the book is so comprehensive, and that's actually a compliment because the book is chock full of so many leadership lessons, things to replicate, things to ponder on, maybe even things to consider avoiding. 
Let's talk about three or four seminal events that I found to be captivating in the book that I think our global audience listening and watching can relate to in their own lives. Um, Jeff Bezos had a really good balance, has a good balance, appearingly, of being um, fixated on certain ideas and seeing them through to the end when other people cannot catch his vision, who may even be um, more grounded in science than he is. And he also has the remarkable ability to pivot and change his mind. A good example is, you know, for years it was known that Amazon refused to have stores and, and fulfillment centers in certain states as well as not to have, you know, corporate taxes and things. And that was a big strategy for them. And they obviously did very well at that strategy. And then almost seemingly overnight, he decided to pivot off this really like entrenched strategy because he had a, took a longer view. Will you talk about that story and kind of what is the leadership takeaway from that? A massive pivot for him. Right. Yeah, it's really mm -hmm. remarkable. Um, up until about 2012, 2013, you know, Amazon employees lived in this bizarre world where they couldn't visit certain states. Um, they, you know, they if they wanted a meeting with a company in North Carolina, they would do it across the border in South Carolina. All these rules, special permissions needed, and it was all about tax avoidance and ensuring that Amazon uh, did not achieve a, a so-called nexus in, in a state where it might be required to collect sales tax. And Bezos took it up to the limit. He started to fund a, um, a campaign in the state of California to fight uh, a tax collection tax collection effort in the state. And then almost on a dime, they pivoted, as you say, Scott, and they gave up that battle and they started reaching agreements in various states to start collecting sales tax. Uh, they in, in every negotiation, they would give themselves about a year or two years. Now, what does that tell us about, about Bezos? I mean, he likes to say he's flexible on the details and stubborn on the vision. And in this case, the vision was, you know, offering convenient and fast delivery to customers, um, you know, uh, fulfilling Amazon's promise to customers when they hit the buy button and the details, you know, I think he reasoned was, you know, this, this, this price advantage they got from evading state sales tax. And ultimately what the compromise allowed him to do, uh, in addition to getting some breathing room was to eventually go and build fulfillment centers outside of major cities, San Francisco, uh, you know, LA, Raleigh, uh, every state where they reached this kind of agreement. And they started collecting sales tax. They lost the price advantage, but it really enabled, you know, faster prime delivery and, and, and it was an accelerant to all sorts of Amazon businesses. So again, he was sort of flexible on, on the tax avoidance question. And by the way, they were getting pummeled in the press for it. So he, he you know, he sort of wriggled free of the bad press. He lost the price advantage, but he got a convenience advantage. And that has really laid the groundwork for Amazon's massive logistics expansion today. I, mean, I don't mean to oversimplify it, but you could argue the leadership lesson is really know when to go all in and sort of take no prisoners and know when to kind of metaphorically throw in the towel because it might be you winning not the battle, but the war, right? Some bigger vision that you have. To, to that point, I was captivated to read how vital AWS, Amazon Web Services, was to the pivot and really sort of reinvention of the whole business model of the company. In fact, you are right. I think that many members of the board of directors didn't even understand the vision behind AWS. Now, I remember going to Vegas for trade shows, gosh, six, eight years ago, maybe not that long, maybe six years ago, and Amazon owned all of the, the uh, billboards inside the Las Vegas airport, talking about AWS and the education campaign around hiring new employees for it. Will you give our listeners and viewers a primer on what is AWS? 
How does it sure. differ from we know as consumers, like you know, the Amazon shopping experience, and why has that been so fundamental to their global growth? Absolutely. So let me paint the picture of Amazon way back in 2003, 2004. The company has barely survived the dot-com bust. The stock price has gone all the way into the single digits. Amazon executives and employees are leaving in droves. Bezos is trying to recruit top talent and finding more often than not that he loses them to Google and other Silicon Valley companies. The company is just not thought of as a technology company. At the same time, Bezos is looking at his advantages and realizes that one of them is that Amazon, because it's a scale online retailer, has gotten better than almost any other company at managing its infrastructure, at scaling during the holiday season, and then scaling back down. And he, he also is looking at his developers and how they operate and how they need available uh, technology resources, storage and compute power and database services uh, when they want to experiment. And he essentially conceives what we now know as the cloud, the, this ability to access computing resources over the internet instead of having a hus humming air-conditioned data center in the back of your office or down the street. And it, it starts slow. They start to sell storage and compute and payment services to other companies. Now, fast forward to the story that I'm telling at Amazon Unbound. He gets into the database business in competition with Oracle. He, for the first time, reveals the financial numbers of AWS in 2015. After resisting doing this for a long time, he's kind of hiding the ball. And when they announced AWS's financial performance at the beginning of 2015, that is where the bit flips on Amazon and Wall Street realizes that this is not a boring retailer. This is actually a very profitable technology company. And that is the beginning of the path to a trillion dollar market cap. Well, to that point, I want to come back in a moment and talk about some of the, the principles that Jeff Bezos kind of has led Amazon by. One of them, I think it might be, you said number eight is think big. Thinking small is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Leaders create and communicate a bold direction that inspires results. They think differently and look around corners for ways to serve customers. You know, Amazon is in many ways now also a transportation company. I mean, just with the, all the vans and all the airlines. Will you talk a bit about uh, what they've done with the competition with FedEx and UPS and how Amazon is in many ways building a logistics transportation company that knows no competition? Right. So the pivotal moment here is 2013, where Amazon sort of famously fails to deliver packages to customers over the holidays. And what they found out was that actually it was UPS that kind of choked on the e-commerce glut and there was bad weather that year. And what had happened was UPS was basically reluctant to invest in its own operations to keep up with Amazon's growth. Amazon was outgrowing UPS and the other parcel carriers. You know, they didn't want to build more capacity just for one customer who might, they, you know, very reasonably concluded one day go off and leave them. So why are you going to add all, all this capacity just for Amazon, particularly because Amazon, you know, negotiates a lower fee because it's a, a kind of bulk customer. So there, the disaster of 2013 leads Bezos to kind of realize he can't depend on these partners anymore. He has to build his own capability. And they start with a deal with the US Postal Service to deliver on Sundays and injecting more Amazon packages into the into the flow of, of postal mail. And then, a, and, and so that leads to a division called Amazon Logistics, where they're basically uh, creating delivery centers in major cities and then 
passing their packages off to third-party contractors to go and to drive the last mile. And now eventually, of course, we see it in our, in our, in our neighborhoods, you know, vans and trucks with the Amazon signage and delivery people wearing the Amazon uniforms. Those are contractors. Amazon's been very clever, you know, not to embrace all the liability and culpability that comes with employing those kinds of drivers are also a very union conscious uh, enterprise. They don't want to invite the Teamsters into their organization. But nevertheless, over the span of just a few years, we've seen Amazon move from relying on UPS and other package carriers to delivering the bulk of its packages. And it allows Amazon to invest in its own operations and to keep up with its growth, something that its partners were never willing to do. It's really incomprehensible, the scope and scale of what's happened in the last 20 years. and. I'm going to ask him before we end, kind of where do you think it's going? Let's revisit this idea about these principles. I forget exactly how many principles that Jeff has instilled. Will you uh, remind us the role that these principles have had in his leadership style, the culture, the growth, the shareholder return, and maybe uh, draw on a few of those that our listeners who are leaders of people can maybe take um, some benefit from? Yeah, no, I think this is key um, for, for the folks who listen to the show. Um, you know, that Jeff Bezos never wanted to create uh, a company that orbited just around him and his presence. His goal was not just to be an inventor, but to create a system of invention that would really, you know, outlive him. He's hoping that Amazon is his legacy. And so the 14 leadership principles are these kinds of, you know, value, corporate values that are almost religiously celebrated inside Amazon. They're on the walls. Uh, people carry around little laminated placards with them. They are considered when you create a new product, you pitch a new service, you're talking about hiring or promotions. They're always along the lines of, you know, is this potential candidate, you know, is he strong on think big, which you mentioned, and particularly weak on, you know, disagree and commit. I'll talk about a couple of them. You know, disagree and commit is this idea. And by the way, Scott, some of these principles are have been adopted from other Silicon Valley companies and yeah. sort of refined at Amazon. And Bezos himself, you know, has pondered and refined these himself over the years. So disagree and commit is this idea that you're gonna you're gonna hammer it out in in meetings or discussions, and you and and people are free to disagree. Uh, but that in the end, when a decision is made, you get in line and you follow it. Uh, so that's that's essential, and that runs throughout my book. Where you know sometimes employees disagreed with Bezos's vision for products like the Fire Phone, their failed smartphone. But in the end, they're forced to kind of get in line, even even when they they uh, think that disaster lies ahead. Another one is frugality. They pulled that right from Sam Walton and the Walmart handbook. And this is the idea that you know Amazon is at at part, in part, a retailer, and that when you save money, you're going to pass on those savings to customers in the form of lower prices. So you get these hilarious stories, hilarious in quotes, of Amazon executives flying to India or flying to China and having to go coach class because Amazon is so frugal, they will not spring for business class tickets. Uh, you mentioned think big. You know, this is really the I, this is the principle that underlies inventions like Alexa or the the uh, the entry into India, uh, Prime Video, um, you know it's it's they don't want to do anything small. Amazon's a big company, and they they got to aim for the stars if they're going to have a meaningful impact. Brad, let's talk about the technology uh, futurist that Jeff Bezos is. Your story about the Echo and Alexa. I think we own three in our family, and the 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 fight 
on his vision, right? I mean, he was envisioning something that the scientists said can't exist in terms of the talking technology and how far you had to be away and sound waves balancing. They bought numerous companies that had, you know, voice recognition technology. They kept them secret. They didn't meet together in the same room. They owned them for more than a year at times and kept that secret because Jeff knew that someday you would talk to your device. And so will you kind of share what are some of the insights to be learned from Jeff's perseverance around the Echo and Alexa, what that's done, and kind of maybe what we should be watching out. Because, you know, my wife, we have, my wife now had stickers on every camera on every computer, like to cover all the cameras in our house. And she's convinced that Alexa is listening to us. And it really annoys me when on her phone, she Googles a product, and within a matter of seconds, it's now in my Facebook feed to buy it on Amazon. I don't think you're a conspiracy theorist, but will you share that kind of the insights from Echo and what do you think the average consumer like me should be thoughtful about in terms of what's that, what, 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 is that invading our privacy and what should we be aware of? Well, Scott, I'm laughing because my wife is exactly the same way and, and despises the numerous Alexas in her home. Uh, and, and yet I'm sort of cavalier about it. So, well, same let me, me rewind first. <laughs> let me rewind to the end of 2010 where, you know, Bezos is looking at the advantages that are conferred by AWS, the cloud service. And he's, he's also a big believer in, in as you said, the, a future where we talk to our computers. He's a big science fiction fan. And he writes an email to Amazon executives that says, we should build a $20 computer whose brains are in the cloud that's completely controllable by your voice. And that is the idea for the Echo. And I actually have in the book the drawing by Bezos on a whiteboard of the very first Echo. So I think the first lesson is just you know vi having a vision and making a prediction and, and making a bet. And he nurtures and obsesses over this product over four years. As you said, they built a number, they bought a number of companies, but really it was it was in it was in-house in invention. And to get back to think big, you know, they they didn't have enough data to launch it, so they launched a secret program where they brought Alexas into apartments and homes around the country, covered them with acoustic fabric, and hired contractors to come in and recite scripts and talk to these devices. They had no idea what they were doing. They spent Amazon spent millions of dollars on this without knowing what the outcome would be, but they were giving Alexa uh, the, enough training data to be able to launch it. I mean, the other lesson, though, is that, you know, Siri launches around the same time and unfortunately doesn't have Steve Jobs's sponsorship because he passed away, of course. You know, the, the magic of the founder and the will of the founder and the, that, that unique combination of inspiration and intimidation, because Bezos is walking out of meetings and haranguing his employees. He selects, you know, the name of Alexa, the name Echo. You know, he is in the details. So that that magic of the founder and the ability to dive deep, another leadership principle, and to think big, uh, and 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 then to you know lend his own magic to releasing the product, I think was key to Alexa's success. And just really quickly, Scott, on the privacy front, you know, I mentioned that first whiteboard drawing. You know, Bezos drew in the mute button that's on top of of Echoes today. He knew privacy was going to be a problem. The reason I'm not conspiratorial. And look, Amazon's made mistakes with this device, and we can get into those. But the reason I'm not conspiratorial is they threaten their entire business if one day, you know, we find out that, you know, good old Jeff is listening to my my reporting conversations in, in my office because I've got an echo in there. They, they're not going to risk the business on that. They know the privacy is, is key to it. They're trying to be a, a conscientious steward of the information they collect, and they're collecting it primarily to make the device better. 
Brad, let's talk about the big leadership lessons. You're not an entrepreneur by, by, by business. You are a journalist, you're a reporter, you are an author, a researcher. You spent, you know, better part of four years talking to hundreds, if not thousands of people about this book. If you were going to be a, a business consultant and you were advising an organization on the biggest leadership lessons that any business could take and deploy into their business from Amazon, what are the maybe two or three positive things you think people should know about to replicate? And what are the maybe two or three things they should maybe avoid at all costs? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. And, and we've talked about some of the good things already. Um, you know, thinking big, the, the, the sponsorship and magic of a founder and how much difference that that uh, can have. You know, having a set of leadership principles that allows a company to scale beyond the presence of the founder. You know, I'll, I'll just say one more thing and then we'll get onto the other side of the ledger. The, the way in which Amazon is decentralized, you know, the way in which um, teams are small, they, they act independently, they operate with complete ignorance to what other folks in the company are doing. The lack of communication between them is very strategic. Um, Amazon pushes goals from top down and then metrics flow from bottom up with a rhythm of, of weekly and monthly and biannual meetings. And it has allowed the company to innovate across the board and to move quickly. They, they might be expanding in India and at the same time they're adding video and, and, and movies to Prime Video and they're coming out with a new Kindle and a new type of Alexa and you know the cloud and you just wonder how they're doing it all. And it's because the company is so decentralized and they really do kind of restrict the kind of communication and bureaucracy that's, that might slow, slow them down. And I tell stories in the book of Bezos coming in and constantly thinking how we can whack at the bureaucracy and make the company leaner, slow down the growth of fixed costs, increase the, 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 growth, the pace of growth of revenues, get more operating leverage. That is how he's run the business. Okay, let's look at the flip side. This is also a culture where there are a lot of lessons for other companies. People have probably heard the stories. I'm gonna. I tell a lot of them in this book about how it can be a mean culture, um, and and this was deliberately seeded by Bezos. He didn't want people to get comfortable. He wanted them to, in some cases, if they're not succeeding, to churn through the company, not just in the offices but also in the fulfillment centers. He decreed at one point that if a worker wasn't being promoted that raises should stop after three years. He didn't want an entrenched and comfortable and maybe disgruntled workforce that would bring in a union. You know, that maybe in, in some practical way has been effective, but it has also created, I think, a little bit of an incessant, you know, churn of bad publicity for the company, you know, fights in, in the warehouses. We saw one at Bessemer, Alabama uh, earlier this year. And it's given Amazon a bit of a reputation as a tough place to work. And I think it's clouded a little bit the image of the company. Customers need to feel good about pressing the buy now button, particularly as Amazon gets so big and starts to dominate uh, our, our world in the retail environment. And if Amazon continues to have that reputation, you know, it's, I, I think it sort of endangers it a bit. Brad, in the book, you talk a lot about how uh, maniacally in control Jeff Bezos is on some of the smallest, but he might think are most important details. You know, it reminds me of a lot of leaders that I know where, you know, some might call them micromanagers. They will tell you, no, I have a vision and I have to control this or it won't get done. My, your micromanagement is my quality standard. What insight would you give to leaders who are listening that find themselves in that kind of precarious seesaw of being seen as a micromanager, but recognizing that I have a vision 
and a quality standard, and I have to make sure that this happens or others won't execute that. I'm not willing to have them, you know, screw this up. Any, any insight there? Right. I mean, this gets into a real paradox about Bezos's leadership. He, he is a micromanager in, in some ways. The, the new projects that he sponsors, you know, Alexa, the Fire Phone, Prime Video, when he took an intense interest in the TV shows that the team in Hollywood was green lighting, he gets into the details. He has executives into his conference room. He's reading their six-page documents with fanaticism picking out mathematical errors, correcting their grammar. I mean, it's crazy. Sending emails at all hours of the night. So he's he's operating very kind of close to the business. But then in other areas, he's almost invisible. And it's because he's operating at an extremely high altitude. So he's allowed his deputies to run, say, the marketplace business or AWS with great autonomy. But then every so often he will, like if we vision the airplane flying at a high altitude, he zooms down without any kind of warning close to the ground and, and audits the business. And he'll do that because a customer email has come in posing a problem or he has noticed something about the business or in the annual review, he has discerned that the revenues aren't growing as fast as the costs are. And he'll come in without warning and audit the business. And so I think it's that ability, you know, to operate close to the business in some ways, you know, at a high altitude in others, but then sort of appear without warning, change altitudes without warning. And that's why how he's able to do so much. If he was micromanaging everything, you know, the guy would be, you know, working nonstop. You couldn't possibly do it. Amazon's too big. So I think this idea of managing from different altitudes is is key to Bezos's philosophy and it's how he's been able to scan not to scale not just Amazon, but an entire empire of holdings. Because this book is also about the Washington Post, Blue Origin, his philanthropy, all and all the things that are going on in his life. Brad, I uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't even ask this question around uh, you know Jeff as a human. I mean, you know, increasingly we know that leaders are humans and they're not infallible. And it seems like in the press, even recently, right, you see other billionaires that are having you know, big personal scandals. Obviously, Jeff's marriage to McKinsey ended, and there was a whole variety of things going on with Trump and the National Enquirer and Saudi Arabia and all that. What, what, what do you deduce happened to all that? Was there blackmail going on? Was it just the girlfriend's brother selling them out? What, what really happened with um, Jeff's personal life there? Right. And Scott, I do tell that story in the book. That was not an avenue that I thought I would be going down when I started the project before the whole National Enquirer saga. Um, but, you know, essentially it, it was uh, Lauren Sanchez's brother, um, you know, for, for whatever reason, he, he might have thought he had, you know, some high minded goals um, in, 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 you know, kind of bringing out into the open a relationship that his sister and Jeff Bezos had been conducting sort of openly anyway throughout 2018. And he provided that uh, those text messages and some images to the inquirer. And then, you know, Bezos in a almost masterful, but perhaps somewhat cynical move, used his ownership of the Washington Post uh, you know, in that remarkable medium post, you know, to, ca to, to cast the inquirer's story as political, to suggest that maybe there was cyber espionage and global intrigue. And in the end, after really investigating it and looking at what the FBI had looked at uh, with regard to Bezos's extortion claims, I mean, they, they ended up dropping the case. And I concluded that the Saudis might have hacked Bezos's phone. We, we don't know for sure. We may never know for sure. But it was really a much simpler story of, uh, you know, of an affair and some complicated family dynamics. And a CEO, 
you know, who knows how to pull the levers of, of the media and was able to kind of turn the situation to his advantage. And it was remarkable because when you think back, you know, sympathies did swing to his side. And to the extent people remember that saga, and of course it's been eclipsed by others, as you sort of mentioned uh, more recently, but to the extent people remember the Bezos saga, it's with a sort of ambiguity. Did the Saudis do it? Was it Trump? And in fact, it it, it wasn't. Yeah. Okay, so what's the future look like? Uh, Where's Amazon going and what should we be aware of? Scott, the future of Amazon is more Amazon. I mean, they're moving, they're building fulfillment centers closer to our homes to enable fast delivery. They're spending billions of dollars on TV shows and movies. You know, they might be buying a major Hollywood studio. Um, They are pushing into new countries. Um, They're obviously doubling down in India where they're in a battle with Walmart and of course, South America and Central America and parts of Europe. I mean, unlike Google and Facebook that were able to flip switches and become global, Amazon's global expansion is, is incremental. So not just the everything store, but the everywhere store, um, you know, more trucks and vans in our communities. But I think I suspect you're asking about like new industries that Amazon might disrupt. And in that respect, I think it's uh, physical stores. 90% of retail is still in stores. So we're going to see more Amazon fresh supermarkets and they're using technology, you know, the cameras in the ceiling uh, to, to, to d- differentiate themselves. And, and then healthcare has been a target and they've got a pill pack and the online pharmacy and telehealth uh, services and walk-in clinic, clinics that they're trialing. And then finally, I'll just say, they've got a very ambitious satellite internet service that is still on the drawing boards. They haven't launched anything, uh, but they're in competition with SpaceX. And the idea is for Amazon to be able to launch a, a satellite network, they're, they're calling it the, the Project Kuiper, and to be able to offer inexpensive internet access to customers. How long before an Amazon drone is flying up to my front doorstep and dropping a head of lettuce and a loaf of bread on my front door? It was interesting because that was the vision Bezos had in 2013 in his famous 60 Minutes interview. And yet, in some ways, I feel like that vision has been overtaken by the vans full of Amazon packages. Yeah. If you're getting you know, the unit economics of that kind of delivery, do you really need to send one-off drones to people's homes? Maybe in rural areas. And that's, of course, more a regulatory story now than a technology story. Brad Stone, the book is Amazon Unbound. Fascinating look at the leadership inside Amazon, the successes and perhaps some of the setbacks. They've had more successes by far than setbacks and how we all can learn from that. Thanks for your contribution. Thank you for joining us today. You are on a nonstop press tour for the book and for the insights that you've written about. Thanks so much for your time. We're delighted that you joined us here on Leadership. Thanks, Scott. I enjoyed it. Thanks, everybody. We did our share with Amazon and local book uh, retailers to purchase all these books. We actually went to several local bookstores that are uh, kind of mom and pop operations around Utah, brought as many books as we could from small stores, Barnes & Noble, and Amazon to make our new studio. Hope you've recovered from the, um, the excessive visual <laughs> interest of our set. Hope you like it. Weigh in. Send me a text or a tweet or connect on social media and tell us how you like our interviews and who else you'd like to see as a guest on leadership and we'll see you back here next week for a new leadership conversation.